Tom and I not only went to seminary together, we played basketball together for the seminary team. And uh, we weren't very good. Uh, and uh, and uh, one of the things that Tom and I decided is that we would always try to have the same hairdo. So uh, so that's what we uh, learned from seminary. They're going to go and meet with our youth and our children and our adult classes. So it's great. Uh, great to have uh, Tom and Janice with us here today. Also, uh, Sherry and Janice worked at Covenant Bookstore together during those years as well. So graduates of North Park Theological Seminary, 1978. And uh, it's great to have them with us here today. Well, I want to welcome each and every one of you to our continuing series entitled What is a Christian? Uh, we're closing in on the end of the series uh, and uh, we will have uh, one more installment uh, next week. And I, I want to encourage you to be sure and be here next week because I, I, I really feel deep in my soul that. Uh, that message is one that will not only tie up the whole series, but I think it'll really have a profound effect on you. And I'll t- the reason I say that is because it's already had a profound effect on me uh, as I've been uh, writing this. Uh, today, the title of the message is Loopholes. And we all love loopholes. Um, uh, I think some of you may remember, if you're old enough, uh, W.C. Fields, who was a notorious uh, boozer and womanizer. Uh, one day in his dressing room, somebody burst in and he was caught reading a Bible. And they said to him, uh, what on earth are you doing reading a Bible? And he took his cigar out of his mouth and he said, I'm looking for loopholes. And uh, I think many times we as Christians, as religious people, are looking for loopholes. Uh, we love loopholes. Uh, we love to find a way to get around a law or requirement uh, it kind of comes naturally with most of us. Uh, most of us started when we were young. Um, so you uh, tell your, your mother and father, find out that you were at a party where uh, there were no parents there. And uh, mom, but you said uh, you asked me if the parents were going to be home. And I knew that eventually they would be home. And so I told you that they would be home. Technically, mom and dad, what I said was right. By the way, anytime you say technically, you're trying to find a loophole. OK. Um, or uh, officer, uh, the, the, the sign said no skateboards and I only brought one. Uh, and uh, or, you know, in our house, we have Sherry's nanny and uh, we've had Philip and Cisneros and, and Drew Pollard in our house. And, you know, always they come out of the bathroom after uh, going to the bathroom and you always ask the question, did you wash your hands? And of course, the answer is always yes, whether they did or not. And uh, and then you check their hands to see if they're still wet because they never get them dry if they're and uh, and basically what the child is saying is that I did wash my hands last Thursday. And the fact that, you know, that's all you asked me. Did I wash my hands? And yes, I did. So we're always, always looking for loopholes. We love them, especially religious people. We we love loopholes. How much sin can I do And still be okay. How close to the edge can I come and still be in the club? I mean, we love loopholes. Now, every religion, whether it's Christianity or any other religion, has a book or a document or a list, a sacred scripture. And every one of us has in those books, those documents, in our case, it's the it's the Bible. We have in our book a list of things that we're supposed to do and not do. And so because that's not always clear and because we may want to do something in the Bible that says we're not supposed to, then we always look for a loophole. And the way we do that is by creating theologians. Uh, 
And theologians are great at this because they can go through the Bible and say, now what this really means, and, and then it means something completely different than you thought. And, or what, what, the, what the real nuance of this passage meant was this. And, and basically we come up with all kinds of things we can do technically. Andy Stanley, again, this is not just Christianity, but it's all religion. Andy Stanley and his wife were visiting in Cairo, Egypt, and they had a, uh, a Muslim uh, guide. And uh, the, the third pillar of the Islam is to pray five times a day heading towards uh, Mecca, as you know. And, and uh, he was fascinated in the hustle and bustle of Cairo, a- anxiously awaiting the siren to go off to see what would happen and see how many um, sincere Muslims there were. And, and he was surprised at how few actually stopped, put out their prayer rug. And I mean, you've all seen that if you've been to those countries, or you've seen it on television, but not as many as he thought did that. And. His guide, who said he was a good Muslim, he said to his guide, he said, now, how come when the, you know, when the siren went off, you didn't put down your, he said, I'm just curious because I, it seems like that's really important to Muslims. And why didn't you pray? And the Muslim said, well, if you, if you interpret the Quran this way, and if you look at this kind of nuance in what the text is saying, and, and Andy says, whoa, stop right there. He said, I know exactly what you're talking about. We do that kind of thing all the time. You know, if there's something we don't want to do, say, well, if you just look at the Bible from this perspective, if you kind of under, understand what's going on over here, you know, and then we finally get to what we want to do, and then we're okay with that. We love loopholes. Uh, some, some, now, don't look around or try and think who it was. This was several years ago. She's no longer in our church. But a, a woman came to my office and said, um, <clears throat> I want a divorce. And I said, well, it probably would have been good if you had brought your husband along, because otherwise I'm not going to do you much good. Uh, she said, no, I, I want a divorce. And she said, I know God hates divorce. I know what the Bible says about divorce. I know it's the wrong thing, but I want a divorce. And I said, well, then why? I mean, if you've already made up your mind, why did you come and talk to me? And she said, and I'll quote, I'm looking for a loophole. I just need a way out. You know, is there something, you know, if, if he picks on me or does it have to be abuse or does he have to have an affair? In other words, she was looking for a loophole, some way, some reason, some rhyme to get out of her marriage. Loophole Christians, not disciples, loophole Christians love theology because we can explain why or why we don't do what the Bible actually says. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Excuse me, tithing. I've heard in my ministry over 30 years, I have heard so many people say the same thing. And these are loophole Christians, not disciples, but loophole Christians. Well, uh, Pastor Dwayne, uh, really, the Bible doesn't talk about tithing in the New Testament. Uh, it's only mentioned a couple of times. Really, it's an Old Testament concept in the book of Malachi. And because it's in the Old Testament, I don't think I really need to obey. This, that's a loophole Christian. That's somebody trying to keep all their money to themselves. And so they're trying to defend it by using the Bible. We, we all have done that. So I won't be too harsh on those who have said that. But we're looking for loopholes. Now, followers of Jesus. Disciples, right? We ask a completely different set of questions. Disciples quit looking for loopholes and kind of workarounds. You can be a loophole Christian because you can believe anything you want to believe if you're a Christian, right? We've looked at that for several weeks now. But if you're a follower of Jesus, that's a whole different thing. You ask a completely different set of questions. For instance, Christians can hate 
by using a Bible verse. Christians take a, a verse out of the Bible that, you know, seems to support what they believe, and they can use that to hate someone. Christians, loophole Christians, could take a verse and sleep around based on that verse. I've had people tell me, well, look at what Jesus said to the woman taken in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. So, Pastor Dwayne, or usually it's Dwayne the friend, why are you condemning me? I said, well, I'm not condemning you. I'm gracing you. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to keep you from a train wreck. You know, I'm trying to, you know, because sin always has what? A gotcha, right? You know, but, but, but they, they forget. It's what they do. They take one little verse out of the Bible. They don't even finish the verse. You know, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then the part that they don't remember is go and sin no more. Right. So we're always looking for loopholes. You can you can find a verse in the Bible and go to war. We've done that many times. Right. We can find a verse in the Bible and and hate a group of people. We can be angry at somebody with a verse from the Bible. We persecute Jews with a verse from the Bible. We persecute homosexuals with a verse from the Bible. We persecuted and enslaved blacks with a verse for a hundred years. I remember one time, it was just about, I think it was two and a half summers ago, or two summers ago. Uh, I, I did a series in the summer on, uh, it was called um, Hot Topics. And what I tried to do is uh, offend as many people as I could in, in the summer. And I was very successful, thank God. Or, and, and what I did is I took every topic that Christians hate to talk about, politics, war, homosexuality, stuff like I took every one of them and tried to bring you kind of a biblical perspective of each and every one of these topics. And the Sunday I was preaching on homosexuality, it was really incredible. The, the friend that I told you about last week, at that time, she was attending our church uh, sporadically. And she was there that Sunday. I told her, I said, you've got to be there. Because if you want to know kind of where I'm coming from biblically and from my heart uh, about, about this whole gay rights thing, you need to hear, hear that Sunday. So she was there. And I remember after the service, she came up to me very humbly. She said, you know what? I don't really like what you had to say today, but somehow, some way, God is saying that there's some truth there. And I really want to investigate that. And I really want to look at that. And I really want to feel that and know what's right. Because this, this is a young woman that loves the Lord. And, and uh, she says, I, so, so there, was that, there was this humility. And she didn't disagree with everything. didn't agree with everything I had to say, but there was this humility and this beautiful spirit about her. And then she uh, went on her way. Well, right after her, there was a couple that had never been in our church before. And they came up, and I knew I was in trouble because both of them had Bibles like three times as big as mine. So, yikes, you know. You know and, and, and they come stomping up like this, you know. And they've got their Bibles, and they're all marked. You know, their Bibles are marked. And I said, you said that, that homosexuality is, is just like any other sin, and, and, and everybody has to be careful of their own hearts and their own sin, and we can't make some sins bigger. But look at this, and they took a verse out of context, and, they, and look over here at this, and God wants to crush them, and, and there's this anger in this. Now, now, which one of those two is a Pharisee? And which one of those two is a sinner, right? Last week, the sinners and the, and the tax collectors. And which one of those two were drawn most to Jesus? Now, if you want to be drawn to certain passages in the Bible that wants to hammer uh, the people you don't like, well, then you are a loophole Christian. But if you want to look at Jesus' word and Jesus' heart, then you have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
You have to look beyond that anger and that angst and that I'm going to beat you. And you have to look and you look at what Jesus said it. If you love each other, that's how people will know you're Christians. Nope, didn't say that. If you love one another, that's how people will know that you're my disciples. Well, how do we do that? Because the way that Jesus loved you. I think every loophole Christian I've ever known, and I've been one, so I know this well. Every loophole Christian says, just a minute, and I'll find you a justification of my behavior by a verse. Okay? Uh, An anger. I can be angry at this. I can, uh, we can enslave a group of people. I, I can teach my wife that she needs to submit to me. You can do all of those things with a verse of Scripture, but wow, is that what God wants from us as disciples? Yeah, I, I've been telling you this for weeks. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I don't want to be that kind of angry, finger-pointing, I'm better than you, you're going to hell if you don't do it my way kind of a person. I don't want to be that way. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a disciple. I want to get up every morning and say, Jesus, what do you want me to think? What do you want me to feel? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? That's what I want to be. I don't want to be a Christian that picks out a verse and that hits you over the head with it. I'm not going to be that kind of person. Now, listen, friends, you know me. Nobody loves this book more than I do. Nobody loves this book more than I do. But for too long, for 1,700 years, Christians have been using this to crush sin and to beat up people that aren't doing things the right way instead of doing it the way Jesus said. You go and you love them. And you love them until they ask you why. That's what we're called to be as disciples. Now, none of that was in my notes. I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent. So, Christians, loophole Christians, they love their theology. Give me a minute and I'll prove you what, what I want. But a disciple is one who says, how can I love? Now, Christians, loophole Christians always ask the question, how close can I get to sin without really sinning? Right now. Now, some of you are going, yeah, that, I, I've seen that. Well, come on, you've done it. So don't don't be self-righteous. Of course, you've done it. How close can I get to sinning uh, without actually sinning? Or how bad can I be if at the last minute when Jesus Christ comes returns, I'm still going to make the cut. <laughs> I'm still going to be on the list. My name's still going to be on the list. You know, how how far can I go? How close to the edge of the mountain can I walk uh, and still not fall off? Okay, those are loophole Christians. Now, some of us have been training generations of, of people to do this. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, this is back in the early 70s before I went to seminary. I was a youth pastor at Alpine. And we uh, in those days, the youth pastors of the larger churches would do the programming. Today, um, they have a program team that does the programming at the, these camps. But we used to do our own programming. So we did because we wanted a good attendance at the camp, uh, we did the theme dating, sex, and marriage. Back in the 70s, that was a big deal. And if you wanted a lot of kids or a lot of people to show up at church, like I said a couple weeks ago, you do dating, sex, and marriage. And so we did that. And uh, so one of the things, I, my bright idea was, we'd have a panel of youth pastors, and we would ask the kids to write down anonymous questions, anything they wanted about dating, sex, and marriage. Of course, none of them really wanted to know about dating or marriage. They just wanted to know about sex. And so they'd write there. And so we got all these questions and we said, in order to be fair, we're going to take these questions cold. Bad mistake, Dwayne. Bad mistake. Bad mistake. So I pulled out one question. The first one, I just looked at it and I looked at the other panel members and I passed it down. I said, I'm going to pick another one. (laughs) Same question over and over. Do you know what it was? Are, Are there any 
small children in here, is oral sex, sex. In other words, how close... Now, we thought that that was just kind of a... Since 1998 and Bill Clinton, kind of a popular thing. No, no, no. This has been going on for centuries. And this was the big question by teenagers in the 1970s, right? And, and there's always looking for a loophole. Now, Jesus' followers, disciples, asked a completely different set of questions. And let's look at those questions. Now, by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, get, get the picture of this. Uh, Jesus... Uh, is talking with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And uh, what's happened is that for, oh, about 650 years, uh, the, the law that was given through Moses and later uh, other laws were given uh, through in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and all that. But most of the law that was given through Moses was good, the Ten Commandments. And we all know it's good. Uh, you know, it's uh, God's top ten things to stay away from to keep you from getting a gotcha. So it's a good list, and nobody argues with it. Nobody says, oh, that's a bad list. No, it's a good list. The problem is that we've never been able to do it very well. So we have this top ten list, and it's a good list. And, and the Pharisees, over those next several hundred years, decided that um, it wasn't enough. So he said, we're going to make up laws to keep you from breaking the laws. Okay, that's what they did. Uh, we're going to make sure that uh, you, you, you have a law that will keep you from actually breaking the actual law. And then over 600 years, you know what happens. Those laws to keep you from breaking the laws become what? The laws. <laughs> An example, I mean, you know, uh, honor the Lord your God on the Sabbath. You know, honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. That's a great commandment. And when you understand the heart of the commander, right? When you understand the heart of the commander, you understand what that means. But these uh, Pharisees had taken it and they'd made thousands and thousands of laws to keep you from breaking the law. And so you can't walk more than half a mile on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. You can't carry to a neighbor more than half a cup of sugar. Uh, You can't milk a goat on the Sabbath. And all these thousands of laws to keep you from breaking the law. The problem is they were more concerned about the commands than the commander. They're more concerned about making the commands, everybody doing those things, than the heart of the one who gave the command. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Our, uh, our son, when he was a senior in high school, he's 17 years old, um, and we had a basement in our home in uh, Minnesota. And it was really cool. That's where our television was, and there was couches and everything. And when Nathan had friends over, like almost every uh, Saturday morning we'd wake up, and this was an open invitation, Nathan would have half of the whatever team Football, basketball, baseball, whatever team he was playing on would be in our basement. And, you know, that's where I want my teenager on Friday night, right? On my basement so I can keep an eye on him. And so, so sometimes they could have a girlfriend come over and they want to go down the basement and watch TV, right? Right. And so, uh, so we try to be, you know, sometimes we'll go like this, stomping down the stairs, you know, so they hear us and, and try to be kind that way. And say, how are you guys doing? You got everything you need? Well, sometimes uh, the lights would go off down in the basement. And I'd holler down and say, Nathan, you know the rule. Lights stay on. Now, <laughs> I just made up a rule. The rule I was really concerned about is don't be messing around in the basement. Okay. But I wasn't going to say that. So I made up a rule to ensure that that rule will be kept. Keep the light. Now, I tell Nathan all the time, Sharon and I both did, turn the lights off. <laughs> We're constantly telling him that. Would you, you just, would you turn the light off when you leave that room? But in this case, I changed the rule. Turn the lights on. Okay. We're always making a rule. And that's what, that's what Christians have done for centuries. And that's what the, the Jewish and the religious leaders did. They had all these laws to keep them from breaking laws. And so Jesus addresses this fact in Matthew chapter 15. 
And listen to what he says in Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the what? Tradition of the, did he say, why do your disciples break the law of God? No, they didn't say that. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, for those of you who are parents, say, oh, cool. I can tell my kids this. It's actually in the Bible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it was, but that's what, not what the law was. You know, there was a, a kind of a ritual that when you did something unclean, you had to wash. And that was kind of in the, in the temple and it was designed for temple worship and all that. But they had taken it and now they made a new law out of it. You've already got to wash your hands before you eat. Okay, that wasn't really a law in the Bible. Nothing wrong with that thing, but that wasn't a law. He says, why do you do that? Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man has to, uh, has to, uh, says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Now, here's a, it's kind of complicated, but here's what the law was. Honor your mother and father. That's one of the big, top ten. That's a biggie. Okay, that's not going to change. Honor your father and mother. So what the disciples or the, the, the Pharisees did to kind of get around that, they said, well, you know, we don't want to, Mom and dad are getting old and we don't want to put them up in a retirement home because that's going to take our money away because then we can't buy our boat, you know, and and I don't want to do that. So so they found an obscure law in the minor prophets uh, that said that everything you have is devoted to the Lord. I guess good law, right? It's a good word. But again, they take that out of context. They take the other out of the context. They put the two together. Say, I'm sorry, mom, pop, can't help you. You're on your own. You know, just go crawl into a hole and die. Can't help because everything I have is devoted to the Lord. And aren't I religious? And I'm, I'm so spiritual. I'm so, and so that's what they did. Constantly taking God's laws and making another law that was completely against the heart of the commander. We say the command is so important. God would say, nah, it's important, of course. I wouldn't have given it to you if it wasn't. But what really matters is what is the heart of of the commander. What does he want? Sometimes we do this in the church. Sometimes we believe that uh, our rule or our verse, even taken out of the context, is what matters above the heart of the commander. We already know what the heart of the commander is. And that is to love one another as Jesus loved us and to love the world, our neighbor as ourself. He's already made it clear. Here's the bottom line. Jesus doesn't want us using God's words to avoid doing God's will. A workaround, a loophole, and then I don't have to do the Father's will. I mean, it's because you, you, you can't define Christianity. It can be anything you want. But when you come to a disciple, now we have to really pay attention to what the commander, not the command so much. What does the commander mean by this command? I think that's why we have so many angry Christians in our world. People pulling their Bible out to hit you over the head. I remember very well uh, when I was a youth pastor, my first job, I was still in college. And there was a gal in our church, a good friend of mine, her name was Susan. We went to high school together. And her mother came storming up to me one day after church. Now, Susan had met this guy at school. He was a foreign exchange student. 
And he's the only black kid in our whole school, right? This is Southern California, San Diego in the 1960s. And he was a foreign exchange student. And, and so Susan and this guy began to date. And that was, you know, that was cool. He was a neat guy. In fact, he was a believer. He was from Kenya. He was a believer. And they began to date. So Susan's mother stomps up to me. I'm the youth pastor. And she says, God's word says this is wrong. It's not going to happen. You, Dwayne, needed to tell her that it's wrong. I said, well, uh, Peggy, that was the mom's name. I, I love you, but t- uh, what, where, where's it wrong? Tell me, please, where is it written? That's what covenanters say. Where is it written? And she said, she said, well, the Bible says that um, uh, we're not to be unequally yoked. I said, oh, okay, wait a second, my head hurts. Uh, no, what the Bible says, honey, is you, you're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Is this young man an unbeliever? No, he says he's a Christian, but I doubt it because he's black. Oh, that's great, Joe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and she said, okay, well, if that doesn't work, how about this one? Moses married a Moabite woman, which meant he married a black woman, and God wouldn't let him enter the promised land. Okay, wait a second, I've got a headache again. Both of those things are true. That they have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> you take something out of the Bible and say, Moses married a Moabite woman and that's why God... No, 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 that's not the way it works. See what I'm saying? So often we, we take something from the Bible so that we can get our own way and make our own point and do our own thing instead of having the heart of the one who gave the command. The heart of the commander. How does that happen? Loophole Christians make the Bible fit what you believe We forget something. This book, which I love with all my heart, is not to be in submission to our ideas and our theology and our purposes. This book, we are to be in submission to it. So many times we want to use the Bible for our purposes, to hurt somebody, to beat them, to tell them how wrong they are. God says, what's the heart of the commander in this? How would Jesus do this? How would he respond to this? And besides... Pet sins and sins that we really, you know, talk about change every generation. I mean, back in the 60s, back in the 50s and 60s, you couldn't go a Sunday without my pastor preaching against alcohol and preaching against divorce. Now, you don't really hear that much today. I mean, we've got new sins that we, and today it's homosexuality and Women shouldn't be preaching in the church and stuff like that. We just have a whole different new, brand new set of sins. And so there's something wrong if we can't even decide what Jesus, what his list was. Isn't that the list we should be really concerned about? Jesus list, not ours. Sometimes we forget that Jesus said, how are you loving in this situation with this person that you're dealing with? How are you loving how are you showing my love for them? Jesus said it this way in John 13, and we've looked at this verse almost every week for the last eight weeks. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples. There's our word again. If you love one another. What, what Jesus is saying is this. Put that at the top of the list. You got a list of sins that are bad? You got a list of things you don't want your kids to do. You got a list of things that you don't want them to get in trouble because they do, sin does have a gotcha. I, I recognize that. You, you, have, you have a list of things the way the way you want to live and the way you don't want to live. Okay, that's a good. I'm sure it's a good list. But you put at the fir- top of that list John 13, 34, and 35. Don't put your list at the top. You put that at the top. A new command I give you: love one another. 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you are my disciples, not Christians, if you love one another. Now, to me, this is really cool because this truth took hold in the first century. And we talked about that a couple, a few weeks ago. This, this truth, for the first 300 years of Christianity, this thing took hold. It revolutionized the world. The, ever, the landscape of the whole world changed. Women were, not, not, women were now not seen with disdain. Children were not seen with disdain. People were living and loving and making life better. And everything was changing. The Roman Empire that said the only thing that matters is worshiping Saturn is now no longer worshiping Saturn. Everything has changed because of these Christians that it just kind of annihilated the world with love. And then we started saying, well, but I've got a list. I've got a rule. Now, 25 years after Jesus started this whole revolution, Paul was writing from Rome. And Paul pushed this hard. Sometimes you think Paul's kind of the the bad guy. Oh, man, if you just knew Paul, the way Scripture teaches him. Uh, Paul pushed this concept hard. And this is what he said in Romans 13. You've heard this passage because we've used it in our Momentum for Ministry campaign. Here's, here's the verse that he, that, he, that he says in Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding. Dave Ramsey loves that verse. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. This goes to the top of the list, friends. The top of the list is not your to-do list. It's not your what you think everybody should do list. This goes to the top of the list. This is what pushes everything else in Scripture. The continuing debt. That means that every time you are eyeball to eyeball with another human being, you recognize because of the enormous thing that you have received from God, that He has cleansed you from your sin. He died for you on the cross. He has given you eternal life because that enormous debt that you owe Him, every person you look eyeball to eyeball with, you say, I want that for you. And I'm not going to get it by telling you that you're living a wrong kind of life. I'm going to get it by loving you and loving you and loving you until you say, why do you love me so well? And then there's the shocker. When when Paul said this, you think you'd think it come from Jesus because you think kind of Jesus is soft hearted and Paul's kind of a hard shell. Uh -uh, No. So here's the shocker. Uh, Paul goes on in verses nine and ten. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal all good commandments. Right. Do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be, all commandments are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. How on earth have we missed this for 1700 years? How on earth have we thought that we're supposed to tell people how they're supposed to live? Remember, we looked the second week. We looked uh, from uh, in, in, the, in the epistles that, that it's not our responsibility to judge the world. It's our responsibility to love the world. How have we missed this? In other words, I want to wake up every single day recognizing that I owe a debt to every person I come eyeball to eyeball with so that they will know the love of Jesus the way I do. Every other verse, every other teaching, all of that is all good. But this is all summed up in the one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, do you know how powerful this is? Do you know how simplifying this is and how freeing this is? Do you know how clarifying this is? I know it's hard. It's hard. It's much easier to be a loophole Christian. Well, how far, you know, the teenagers always ask this, how far can I go in sex without it being called sex? Because I don't want to, you know, do that. I I mean, because the Bible says, you know, how far? You know what? It's a whole different question. Here's the question. If you're a teenage boy and you love the Lord and you're a disciple, 
What does love require of me? This girl that I love, this girl that I'm really attracted to, this girl that I'm taking out on a date, what does love require of me? See, we're asking the wrong questions. How far can I go? That's a loophole, Christian. A disciple says, what does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me in this situation with racism? What does love require of me in this situation with this angry Muslim that's yelling and screaming? What does love require of me? Everything else becomes secondary. In other words, let me say it this way, brothers and sisters in Christ, please, for any of us, don't you dare take a verse or a passage or a story from the Bible and use it to unlove someone. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare take a passage from the Bible from Jesus Christ who loved the whole world and take that verse and use that to unlove someone. The only thing disciples do is say, how can I love that person? I know they're unlovely. I know they're acting like a maniac. I know they've done terrible things. But what would love require of me? What would love require of me? For that, that homosexual friend, that Muslim, that road rager, that person in my church of the opposite political persuasion. What does love require of me? And you know what Jesus said to that? He said, you hypocrite. Now, he didn't say it like that. He probably said, you hypocrite. Now, some of you, maybe if you haven't been to church for a while, maybe you're new today. Some of you are probably saying, you know what? I've always believed the church is filled with hypocrites. I'm going to give you and everyone else here an opportunity to get that out of your system. Okay, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to say it just like you think Jesus said it uh, to the Pharisees. You hypocrite. Let's say it together. You hypocrite. That was terrible. He would not have said it that. Come on, get it out of your system. This is a poison that's been in you a long time. Come on, say it together. You hypocrite. Okay, I feel better, doesn't it? Yeah, I feel better. Okay. See, the disciples don't look for a workaround and a loophole. Christians do. Religious people do. Christians say, honey, the Bible says submit to me. The disciple says, honey, how can I love you? How can I show you how much you mean to me? How, how can I serve you? That's what a disciple says. Christian says, well, I'm going to use this Bible as a weapon, as a mace. Disciple says, I'm going to use this Bible as a mirror to look into my own heart. That's what Jesus would do. That's what James, the brother of Jesus, said when he said, every day a disciple wakes up and asks this question, what does love require of me? Not simply what does the Bible say, but out of what was the intent, the heart of the author, the commander, to love one another. And again, I, I want to just emphasize this again. You know that this book means more to me than anything else in the world. But I believe as believers, we have misused this book so often to make it somehow agree with what we believe. But if you find yourself being angry, if you find yourself finger pointing and talking about those people or those uh, that other religion or those that other lifestyle, if you see yourself doing that, you need to check your heart. Is it about the command or about the heart of the commander? Because when you do that, it changes everything. In my marriage, 
What does love require of me? In my relationships with other people, what does love require of me? In my job, in my school as a student, on a date, on the softball team, in my service at church, should I have sex with my girlfriend? What does love require of me? Now, for me, that's a little bit too clear. (laughs) That's hard. It's easy to be a Christian. You make it believe whatever you want to believe. You can loophole it. You can find reasons why you can do whatever, you know, but but when you ask that question and when that's the question that comes out of this book so profoundly, what does love require of me? That's hard. That's difficult. That's putting your needs aside for someone else. See, disciples. Christians talk about people. Disciples talk to people. Christians say, well, those people over there, I I don't have anything in common with them. Disciples, because that's what Jesus would do, move toward that group of people. Disciples always move in the direction of people that are not like them. Because that's what Jesus did. Remember last week we talked about sinners and tax collectors and, and then the religious people on the other side. And which is the group that was sitting on the front row? Yeah, here's our famous sinners right here. I mean, I love you guys. I love you guys. You know you're sinners. That's why you sit on the front row. And, yeah, amen. <laughs> you're on the second row, Mike. You can't say that. So, but that, that, those, those sinners and those tax collectors were pressed right up against Jesus because they knew he had something to say. And they knew when he said it, it would be said with love. Not condemnation. It would be said with love. This will draw you out of your comfort zone. This is not easy. So draw you out of your type of people. It's not easy. Sometimes your wife might actually say, guess who's coming to dinner? And she'll mean it. <laughs> this is not a compromise. This is not abandoning our faith. I believe this is our faith. We dive into Jesus. We don't dive into words that make our actions approval. So Jesus said this. John said this. Paul said this. Peter said this. They've all said the same thing, and it's this. The law, please hear this well. The law is secondary to love. The law is subservient to love. Everything from this book flows from the heart of the commander. Love one another. So I want to wake up every day and not feel. Sorry, honey. I want to wake up every day and believe and act like she's the most important person in my life. That's what love would require. I want to wake up every day asking God, what is it going to mean when I run into somebody today that their behavior irritates me and it just nags at me and I just don't like it. What does it mean today? How do I respond to that person? Now, I I know this kind of sermon elicits a thousand questions. And I, and I think I know what many of them are. But, but let me answer it this way as I close. Aren't you glad that God didn't look for any loopholes when it came to your salvation? Aren't you glad that God didn't say to Jim Blackburn, Jim, in the Old Testament it says, aren't you glad God didn't do that? Aren't you glad God didn't say, okay, now I've been taking notes. I've seen what you've said. Seen it. Remember it. I've seen what you believed. I've seen what you've done. And you're asking me for a favor? 
God could say, are you kidding me? You're asking me for grace, and yet that's all we get from God is grace and forgiveness. I can't tell you how often I have. I mean, look at my life. I was raised in a good, a great home, a great Christian home. I every person that I've ever known that matters to me has loved me. I mean, I've I've had it easy. Yet I have given God 10,000 Maybe 10 million loopholes to not love me. And he's never taken me up on it. What does love require of me? What does love require of you in every conversation, in every thought, in every action? What does love require of me? Would you bow your heads, please? Father, um, it's, oh, it's so much easier to be a Christian. And we can think and believe and do anything we want to. And nobody can really tell us we're wrong. But to be a disciple, man, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to lead with love instead of commandment, to lead with the heart of the commander instead of the commands, now that's hard. It's a lot easier to point fingers and to just stay away from people that behave badly. Father, what does love require of me? Those angry Muslims in the world. Those kids that act so weird and have so many tattoos and earrings. and That boss that treats me like dirt. What does love require of me? Father, forgive us for turning your commandments into a list that makes us feel better about ourselves. Lord, I've told you many times, it's always interested me that the time, those years that I was gambling, I never once preached against gambling. So, Father, I, I would pray that you would help us to, that all have blinders on at times, that you would help us to ask the question, what does love require of me? That's my heart, Father, and that's my prayer for this church. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.